0: All right. Um, let us stand together, and as we begin this morning service, we're going to sing the words, "The Great Is Thy Faithfulness." Join Miss CJ. E. She's going to be leading children's moments this morning.
1: There's a snack over
0: there. Miss Amen. I was communicating uh, with Steve Ditferth last week asking uh, some questions about the service we're going to be doing today. And I asked him what his favorite hymns were. And uh, without too much thought, this was one of the first hymns that came to mind for him. Let us stand together and let us sing the glorious words to be thou my vision.
1: Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thoughts by day or by night, waking or sleeping. My presence, my light, be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord, thou my great Father, I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I with me. On. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise Thou mine inheritance now
2: I guess since I'm up here, hopefully these will be elevated elders' moments. (laughs) Or if I crash, it'll be a farther way to fall. Um, So the the passage for today is uh, John 6, verses 43 through 45, if you all would like to read that with me. John 6 verses 43 through 45. And it says, Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So that passage is, of course, within a larger context within the chapter and he's specifically responding to people who are grumbling. And we, last week, Aubrey talked about the passages from Exodus that we're supposed to be reminded of when we hear the word grumble. And then you look back earlier in the same passage and you see that they're talking about manna in the desert. So clearly, this is in a context that understands what the Israelites went through. So let me just provide a little bit of thought here, and then we'll finish up at the end with the Lord's Supper. But what do we have happen uh, in the story of Exodus? God's people are in slavery, and they're stuck, and they have no way out. God makes a way. He doesn't make a slight little path, a little way for them to sneak out the side door of Egypt and go into the desert but he brings on these massive and powerful signs, and he gathers them up, he gives them tons of gifts, like the Egyptians have the highest, the largest amount of gold in the world at that time as far as we know, and that gold's just lavished on the Israelites as they leave. So they leave with a bunch of treasure, and they go out into the desert, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, comes after them, God works another sign, wipes out the army of Pharaoh. Right? The strongest, powerful, most powerful uh, empire at the time, I guess, is wiped out. And then they're in the desert, and what do they do? They start to grumble. They grumble because they don't have enough water. They grumble because they don't think they have enough bread. God provides water. God provides bread. They get tired of the bread. They grumble again. He provides quail. So all of that is to point us to one simple thing. When God works awesome and mighty things for us, they have no impact on us until God shows us what he actually did. And so just like the people of Israel didn't realize what God was working for them, we, uh, th- they had to have God put it into their hearts and write it on their hearts. We'll talk about what the prophets say about that to understand. But just think about, reflect on that as, as I'll repeat this sermon, that we can get and understand and experience the awesome power and works of god but we get that through uh the through god working on our hearts to help us to understand what he's actually done or i guess sorry i'm a little twisted around on aubrey's not preaching i guess <laughs> okay.
0: good morning morning. Um, so as Aubrey mentioned uh, when he called me up I you know I did immediately start thinking about um, how maybe I could construct a little bit of time together like this um, to expound upon this verse and to share a little bit uh, about my story and I and I was pretty excited but then what he doesn't realize is that when I got off the phone with him I immediately had a real big sense of apprehension about this and um, I think one of the reasons um, is because I started to think about Sunday mornings and about you. And, you know, you, you come here, you, you, you get dressed, you, you drop off your kids in the nursery, you go to Sunday school, you come in here, you find your favorite pew, wherever that may be. And, um, and this is the one time a week when we here in Curtin come into the House of the Lord to worship together. And you really don't come here expecting to hear the Mark Bendixson story. So I started to worry about... You know how I was going to present this in such a way uh, that we could keep the spotlight on Christ and uh, this verse is what helps because um, even though I am going to tell a chunk of the Mark Bendixson story um, hopefully you're going to see how it dovetails uh, with uh, this verse John 6:44. and if I can just reread it no one again again Jesus is talking to the multitudes as, as Matt said and I'm, I'm glad he gave the greater context of, you know, what brought about this discussion. But he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I'll raise them up at the last day. So thinking about, I thought immediately of that idea about, um, you know, we love him because he first loved us. And to me, it's the same kind of principle. You know, it's, it's kind of a humbling idea to think of. It's very comforting in a way. But the idea is um, we are drawn to Christ because the Father draws us to him. It, it's, it's his power, it's his volition, it's his sovereignty that has it, makes it happen. It's nothing, nothing to do with us. Um, but what I wanted to talk about this morning was how. What does God use to draw us to him? What methods does he use? And I think there are several things that are kind of universal that he uses for all of us to draw us to him. Um, but then I think there's some specific things, you know, some specific ways he, he drew Mark to himself. Um, But one of the first ways that came to mind in my life was that God uses people. God definitely uses people and has used people in my life as a means of drawing me to himself. Um, Just a quick background, because I I realized 20 years being here there's a lot about me that you may not know. Um, But one thing is uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and so I didn't have that foundation of that knowledge of what salvation is. Uh, I didn't have that foundation of scripture study. Um, So I had a very vague idea of who God was. We went to church on Christmas and Easter, so I understood birth and resurrection. And we went sporadically some other times, but I really didn't have a working knowledge of the fact that, you know, uh, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins was the way to have eternal fellowship with him. I I, I had no clue about that. And um, when I was 10 years old, they sent me to a summer camp for a week and it was in East Texas, and it was a Christian camp, and a lot of my friends went there. And the first night, uh, we're there in the cabins, we're about to go to sleep, and um, the, the counselor says, okay, before you go to bed, I need you to take out a pen and a piece of paper, and I need you to write down the answer to this question. The question is, if you died tonight, and you're in the presence of the Lord, and he says, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? Write it down. Well... I didn't understand salvation. So I, I don't remember what I wrote down, but I'm sure paraphrased it was probably something like, I've been a good boy. <laughs> um, so undoubtedly, the goal for doing that the first night was so that the counselors would have an idea of where we were spiritually so that they could know how during the week to minister to us personally and how to witness to us. And that week was very, very powerful for me. You know, I got, I got a deep understanding of Christ was, the seeds were planted. What I'm saying is, God used those counselors, those people who were just a few years older than me, and the people in that environment to give me a little bit closer to him. Um, If you fast forward uh, uh, a few more years, I'm 15, 16 years old. Uh, I was very close friends with a, a guy named Scott. We were in high school together. We did all the same things together. We were involved in all the same activities, and we were real close. And I started going to his church. And I started hanging out with his family. In fact, his family kind of became my second family. I would like just, I would go there on Friday and just stay the whole weekend usually and just hang out with them. And the reason I was drawn to their family is because I would go to church with them and I saw how they acted at church and then I'd go back to home with with them and they acted the same way. They treated each other with respect. They loved Christ in a way that I had never seen before. They had hearts of service in every respect and this was, this was mind-blowing to me. And this was another case of God using people uh, to draw me into Himself. And also God obviously used the Holy Spirit to draw me to Himself. And as a result of those relationships, and as a result of the work of the Lord in my life, uh, I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and uh, soon after, I joined their church. I got baptized in their church. This was in Dallas. And um, Scott took me to the Christian bookstore, and I purchased my first study Bible, and I was actually digging into the Word for the first time. And uh, then I realized another truth. God uses His Word to draw us to Him. Now, I had probably, maybe only once or twice in my life, cracked open a Bible, so uh, I knew, like I said, the Christmas story, the Easter story. I had no idea of the early church as it's depicted in Acts. I had nothing. I had, <clears throat> excuse me, no idea of what had happened uh, prior to the birth of Christ and um it was during this time that i started to listen to christian music and um there was a song that came on the radio all the time and um i just i would it was one of these things i would just immediately sing along with it and it was written -written, co-written by two people who i kind of consider to be the mother and father of contemporary christian music because when they came on the scene everything kind of shifted and changed and they co-wrote this and it's in our hymnal.
1: Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, I think I've lost my way still you're there right beside me nothing will i fear as long as you are near please be near me to the end thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will not forget your love for me, and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus, be my guide and hold me to your side, and I will love you to the end. a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And a light unto my path. You're the light unto my path.
0: And by the way, this morning, um, some of the songs will be projected, some of them won't. If they are projected, or even if they're not, uh, feel free to sing along if you know the words. Um, This is a participatory thing as well. This is a congregational thing. This is not just me. Um, So, um, again, to recap, God used people to draw me to him. God used the Holy Spirit to draw me to him. God uh, used his Holy Word, Scripture, to draw me to him. Um, But there was one more thing, obviously, uh, that he used to draw me to him and that was music. And uh, I was thinking about, as I was preparing for this, you know, about the first time that, you know, I fell in love with music and I really can't think of that. You know, I think I just, I think it was part of my DNA. I just think I came out of the womb and immediately started loving music whenever I heard it. Um, Cause I can't think of a time when uh, that was not the case. And uh, what's interesting about that <laughs> is that um, my parents, basically know nothing about music. So, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, my dad has no appreciation at all. He doesn't even have music that he likes to listen to. My mom has some music she likes to listen to, but you know, she didn't have, she wasn't in love with music, certainly not as much as me. And the, and the reason I point that out is because I want to tell you that it was not them who instilled this in me. Looking back now, it had to have been God. It had to have been God who implanted it in my DNA, because it certainly was an environmental thing in my life. Um, so uh, I would basically listen to anything and everything that remotely resembled music <laughs> up and down the radio dial uh, when I was a child, uh, any, any genre. Um, when I finally got allowance money, I would just to use that to spend it on record albums, You know, any kind of record album, you know, anything from country to pop to rock to uh, music scores from movies. You know, I would take them home and put them on my little childhood turntable in the room and just listen and try to analyze it as best I could, even though I didn't have any training at that point. Um, But here's the important thing to note. Not being raised in a Christian home, I had no connection between music and God. They were two separate things. I didn't know hymns, I didn't know spiritual songs. To me, my little bit of knowledge I had of God had nothing to do with my obsession with this thing called music. So um, if you flash forward about 10 years from there, um, uh, here I am now, I'm a believer and I'm reading through the Psalms and I'm seeing Uh, evidence that from the earliest days of mankind, there was music. You know, you have most of these psalms were written by who? David, right? And we often think of that. We think, okay, David penned a lot of these psalms, a lot of these songs, and we think of that. But what we don't realize is before he penned those psalms, before he was King David, before he slayed Goliath, his first claim to fame was he was musician for Saul. He was called at a time when Saul was tormented and because he was such a good player, he was brought before him. And in 1 Samuel 16:23, I came across this yesterday. It said, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So think about that. David was such a good player <laughs> that the evil spirit would leave Saul when he played before him. Um, And so that was the first thing that really uh, brought David any kind of recognition at all all, was his musical abilities. Um, But not having a knowledge of salvation, not having a real knowledge of Scripture at all, I was this baby Christian, and I had all these holes. I didn't know. I mean, there was so little I knew. And I started listening to Christian radio, and obviously most of the songs made sense to me. But there were some songs where... I didn't understand at all what they were talking about because I had not been raised with any kind of biblical knowledge. And um, in high school, I was kind of the go-to guy if somebody needed uh, an accompanist. You know, they, they knew to call Mark if they needed to you know, sing for an audition or if they needed to uh, have a performance. And so there was this one girl, and she asked me to, uh, to play a song for her, uh, for her audition. So I played it, and we rehearsed it, and she sang through it, and I listened to the lyrics as she was singing it, and um, I was very, very perplexed, okay? I thought she was singing to maybe some <laughs> mythical creature. I thought maybe she was singing to some cultish god. I didn't understand, I mean, I, was, I felt kind of bad for her. I thought maybe I should witness to this person, I don't know. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until many months later that I, that I got a clue about what this song is about.
3: El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El, El Yehoyana Adonai. Little by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Kamkana Adonai. We will praise and lift You high, El Shaddai. Through the love and through the ram, you saved the son of Abraham. By the power of your hand, you turned the sea into dry land. To the outcast on her knees, you are the God who really sees. And by your might, you set your children free. Through the years you made it clear That the time of Christ was near Though the people couldn't see What Messiah ought to be Though your word contained the plan They just could not understand Your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same. By the power of your name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Kamkana Adonai. I will praise you till I die, El Shaddai.
0: El Shaddai, here we are. We have one of the Hebrew names for the God of Israel and I did not know what it was. Um, Most often translated God Almighty, El Shaddai. And it was a song written by Michael Card. It was most famously recorded by Amy Grant. And um, um, she had come out with an album right around the time I became a believer and it was called Unguarded and they played it all over the radio um, one of the interesting side notes about this album is that uh, like many Christian albums of the time it was uh, distributed by Word Records but this one was also co-distributed by a secular record label a and Records which means they actually sold the album in re- regular record stores um, so um, it had a lot of crossover success but what I remember most about this album which was really meant a lot to me at the time because I was just getting into listening to Christian music, was that before every, you open up the liner notes and before every song, Amy had written what inspired the song, what scripture inspired the song, what event from her life inspired it. And it really gave you a window into these lyrics. And so there's this one song uh, called The Prodigal. And this this was a very puzzling song to me because I'd heard it on the radio and I saw that the title was The Prodigal but Prodigal was nowhere in the lyrics. (laughs) That was just the name of the song. Okay, usually the title is found somewhere in the song. Um, And I read her little liner notes and it said um, that this was her own interpretation of Luke 15. So I immediately went, hmm, Luke 15, what's that? Flip open the Bible, it's Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son. I had never heard that story before. So I'm reading the story. So here we have a case where God was using music to bring me to scripture. And of course, then God uses scripture to bring me back to himself. So um, she said, this is my interpretation of Luke 15. There's a woman in my life who sort of ran away from her faith, she ran away from me, and I've just, I'm just eagerly waiting for her to return. And this is that song. And then the song made sense. And then I understood why it was called the prodigal.
3: I face the day again against the window pain. I remain your closest friend and wish you back again. You wonder how I feel You think you've pushed too far If you could only see this pen Scribbling down my
1: heart
3: I'll be waiting I may be on the old and gray, counting the days. But I'll be waiting, and when I finally see you come, I'll run. When I see you, I'll meet you. But still the days drag on. Why did you decide to go? Did you only need to see what only time can show? I'll be waiting, I may be young or old and gray, counting the days. I'll be waiting, and when I finally see you come, I'll run when I see you. Even if You never do return Still I will have learned How to love you better I'll be waiting I may be young or old and gray Counting the days I'll be waiting see you I'll be waiting I may be young or old and gray cutting the days I'll be waiting and when I finally see you come I'll run when I see you
0: Thank you, Julie. So, uh, having not been raised on any kind of hymn, spiritual songs, or Christian music, and uh, coming to Christ at age 16, I was initially a little bit suspect um, about Christian music. Um, I started taking piano lessons when I was six and took those for the next 12 years so I was classical music was a big part of my life so I was kind of uh, I was really big into playing Bach at that time and Mozart and obviously my pop heroes were people like Billy Joel and so here's now Christian music um, and uh, I, I was Linda had read me this quote years ago and I found it this weekend and uh, it was kinda of funny to read what CS Lewis's initial impression of church music was he said in regards to church music I just liked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. (laughs) So, um, and we'll get back more to that in a minute, but uh, so here at this time, my friend Scott, who I was telling you about earlier, he loaned me a a cassette. And uh, this was a cassette of Michael W. Smith's very first album, it was called The Michael W. Smith Project. And uh, this is, his very first album gave us a song that is in our hymnal today.
1: great is the lord he is holy and just by his power we
0: trust in his love
1: great is the lord he is faithful and true by his mercy he proves he is love great is the lord and worthy of glory great is the lord and worthy of praise great is the lord now lift up your voice now lift up your voice Great is the Lord, great
0: is the Lord. But that was not actually the first song on the album. So a little bit of background if you're younger than me, back in the 1980s we had these things called cassettes. And, If you wanted to listen to a song, you basically listen to the whole cassette, unless you wanted to go through the trouble of fast forwarding and rewinding and seeking and all this kind of stuff. So somebody would hand you a cassette, you would play all the way through side one, you would take out the tape, you would turn it over, you put it into the tape player, and you play all the way through side two, and then you're back to the beginning again. Okay, so here's the end of the lesson on cassettes. So um, he gave me this cassette of Michael W. Smith's first album, and uh, so here I am side one, song one, of his very first album. I put it in, and this is what I heard. And so on and so forth. So immediately my ears perked up because <laughs> I was just learning some Bach inventions and but here was a song written by Michael W. Smith that was basically sort of a classical song and it's the first song on his first Christian album. So I was like, okay, there's no words. This, this, this is music to God too? Yes it is. You know, so obviously being a piano player um, being somebody who, who loved listening to piano players, I was immediately interested in this guy. Um, and so I would, <laughs> I then basically paid attention to everything he wrote, including a lot of songs that were made famous by other singers, such as Amy Grant and others. And this was one of the early ones as well. you
1: Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Amen you well, wonderful counselor, Lord of life, Lord of all, He is the Prince of Peace, mighty God, Holy One. Amen you well, Amen you well, Amen, you well. Amen, you well. Amen, you well. Wonderful counselor, Lord of life, Lord of all. He is the Prince of peace, mighty God, holy one. Amen, you well.
0: Uh, somewhere around this time um, that um, as I was reading more and more about the early church I kind of really got obsessed with reading about Acts because I, I really liked history and here was the history of how God's Word was spread amongst uh, amongst the people in that area at that time and um, I kind of you know a lot of people at that time were talking about what their life verse was you know and so I was like oh, okay, I, gotta, I gotta get a life verse <laughs> um, so um, as I was reading through Acts, I came across Acts 20:24 20, at the time, and uh, the, this, the idea is that Paul is saying farewell to the elders um, of the church at Ephesus, and he had a very special relationship with these people, and he's about to, to head onward, and he has what I envision to be kind of a tearful farewell with them, and he basically says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that Christ Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace." And I thought, that sounds like a life verse. (laughs) Because I listened to that and I thought, I know that that sounds like an incredible thing to try to achieve, and I know that I'm not going to achieve it very quickly. It's something that I'm gonna to need to come back to time and time again. And thankfully I have, you know, I've written that verse in my heart and every time that I stray, every time that circumstances, you know, pull me away from God, I always come back to that verse um, because it really meant a lot to me. Um, uh, so um, also around this time, I, like I said, I grew up in Dallas. So there were, there were a lot of Christian artists that came and performed there. And uh, there was a thing, there was a church called Prestonwood Baptist it's now a megachurch. I don't think they used the term megachurch back in the 80s. Um, now they've got like 40,000 people. Right back then it was just a few thousand, so I don't think it would even qualify as a megachurch. But they were big enough that they had concerts there every Saturday night. I think they called it Saturday nights in Dallas or something like that. So the girl I was dating at the time, her parents had season tickets, and they basically demanded that we go with them. So, so the four of us every Saturday, this whole summer, um, would go to Prestonwood Baptist and listen to the artist. And they had some really incredible people there. Um, uh, and, but some of them were just vocalists interpreting other people's songs. And they were very, very good, but I didn't really connect with them as much as I connected with the actual singer-songwriters, people who came there and played their own instruments and were and singing and playing their own songs. Those were the people that I kind of, you know, uh, felt like I had some kind of uh, connection with. And um, there was a up-and-coming artist at the time who came to Saturday Nights at Dallas, and uh, her name was Twyla Paris, and if you don't immediately recognize the name, you'll recognize her songs, because she has no less than seven songs in our hymnal, <laughs> um, which is a lot for a contemporary songwriter. Um, so she's in her 20s, she's sort of this diminutive, you know, little woman, and she comes out, um, and she sits down at the the grand piano there at Prestonwood Baptist, and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to start off the concert with a sweet little ballad, and um, I was wrong. She immediately sunk what sounded like 20 fingers, even though you don't have that many, into the piano, and with authority and dexterity and power, she played this instrumental piece that just reverberated throughout the whole church, and I was I, was, I sat up in the pew and I was like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> this is not the person I've been listening to on the radio with the sweet little voice singing these you know, sweet songs to God. This is somebody who has some real, real power. And, and what was amazing to me is I could sense just her love for God just in that instrumental, just in that playing. I could see it in her face. I could hear it in what she was doing. That there, there was a real true honor to God being played in just this instrumental song, just like with that first song on Michael W. Smith on that album, No Words but great power. She was was supporting a record that had just come out in 1985 called Kingdom Seekers. And Kingdom Seekers has two songs that actually are in our hymnal. Uh, One of them I know you know very well.
1: He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him he is exalted forever exalted and i will praise his name he is the lord forever his truth shall reign heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name he is exalted the king is exalted on high exalted the king is exalted on high
0: and obviously she sang that song Um, but what I remember most about that concert and um, and in fact it's what I remember most about all the concerts of that whole year was when she got up from the piano and she approached the microphone and they brought the lights down very dim there's a little spotlight on her And she sang the song that had just started playing on the radio um, a couple of months before, and um, this is what that was
3: Your only son, no sin. To hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love. They crucified, they laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Precious Blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So lost, I should have died, but you have brought me to your side. (laughs) Oh <laughs>
0: over 30 years, and I still remember that moment. Um, and it, it's not just the beauty of the lyrics and the beauty of the melody, um, which is definitely there, but it was, it was her singing it, and it was what I saw when she sang it. This was not a performer, just singing empty words. This was someone who was worshipping in my presence, and I got to see it. Um, I had uh, mentioned that C.S. Lewis quote earlier, and I, I think I should give you the second half of it. Um, As I went on, I saw the great merit of it. If I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, then I realized that the hymns were being sung with devotion and benefit uh, by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew, and you realized you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. my hope is that you know, when you come here on Sunday mornings, that you do seize the opportunity to sing. I know some of you, it was, you know, CJ was mentioning this morning during children's moments, you, know, you, you may not feel comfortable hearing your voice. Um, I'd encourage you to set that aside and just sing. Uh, God designed us uh, to do so and to praise him with song. Don't worry about what anybody around you is going to think. Don't worry if you even know the words. Um, This is is an opportunity we have that not everybody in the world does, and we can freely do it here. Um, And and it's an honor, and it's a blessing. And there's so many verses that support this. Um, But one I gravitated to as I was preparing for this was Ephesians 5. Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing, singing and, and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I, I don't think it can be said any more plainly uh, than that. I, um, I felt slightly awkward about doing this this morning. Um, and one of the reasons I felt awkward about doing it is because over the years that I've been here, I've tried more and more to get out of the way. <laughs> I've tried to get other people to lead praise team vocally, tried to push other people up who have gifts and music to use them because I feel like that's really what I'm called to do um, and um, so I, I felt like suddenly I was, you know in a way kind of being shoved back up here in a place that I, I was trying to get myself out of but um, but I did feel it was uh, it was vital to uh, come alongside this verse uh, in John, John 6 and, uh, and explain to you the ways that God has used to draw me to him uh, he draws us to him through, uh, through people he draws us to him uh, through His Word, He uh, draws us to Him uh, via the Holy Spirit. In my case, He draws me to Him via music. Uh, one other thing I didn't have time to, and I, you know, I need a whole other sermon to go into how God has used circumstances to draw me to Him. Um, but there have been many things in my life, circumstantially, um, that uh, that God has used as a means of bringing me back uh, to Him again. But my question to you. You know, but putting it back on you today. You know, I'd like you to contemplate, what has God used in your life? You know, when, he, when you came to a, a point of saving faith in Jesus Christ, well, can you see the people that God used? Can you see the scripture that he used? Can you see the circumstances? Can you, is there something special? You know, Maybe it's not music for you. Maybe it's something else. Um, I, uh, I'd like you to take some time and ponder your relationship with God this morning um, as you draw closer to him. Um, you know, this past week I was, uh, one more passage I was, led to Hebrews 4. And uh, this, in Hebrews 4, we have this sort of this passage, it's all about Christ the high priest, Christ the mediator, uh, Christ the intercessor. And um, the author of Hebrews writes, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the idea this morning is God draws us to the person of Christ, and it's, but it's from that relationship that we ourselves can draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy there and find comfort there. And I certainly hope that you do. Um, we are about to come to the time of communion now, and we're going to have one more song that will lead us into communion. And um, I uh, haven't done this one in a while, but when I came across uh, Draw Me Close to You, uh, I thought it would be... a An appropriate song to kind of transition us and if you don't know the words if you don't want to sing that's fine Um, but as you do what you always do when you come to the Lord's table as you you know contemplate the sins that you need to bring before uh, the Heavenly Father that you need to confess before this time also think about how God has drawn you to himself
1: close to you Never let me go Lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You were my desire else will do, nothing else could take your place, to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find a way, bring me back to you. You're all I want
4: Help me know you are near
1: Drive me close to you Drive
3: me close, oh Lord
1: Never let me go It all down again To hear you say that I'm
4: your you, oh you are my design My one and only love. No one else will do. No one else but you oh are yours Nothing else could take your place
1: the warmth of your grace help me find a way bring me back to you
4: you're all I want
1: you're all I've ever needed I
4: want. Help me know you are near. You're all I want. Only you are, Lord. You're all I've
0: Holy and Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, this time to come before you. Lord, we, uh, we thank you with just complete humility for the fact that uh, you're the one who draws us to yourself. We thank you for the fact that we can come before you with um, nothing, nothing in the way, Lord. We have a personal relationship with you through the, the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, there's nothing between us and you. And uh, we can pray to you freely. We can study your word freely. We can preach your word freely. And, uh, Lord, we know that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can can be lights to a darkened world. We thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: awesome about the work of God is that, like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, it didn't really matter how big of a miracle God made happen to, to the people of Israel. Ultimately, he draws us near through his work and his spe- speaking to us in our lives, and he does it through a lot of different ways. So some of us he calls through song primarily, some of us he calls through reading of the word, There's lots of different ways that God's called people to himself. He certainly changed the hearts of some of the people of Israel through the Exodus. Certainly wasn't every single person who didn't understand and every single person who grumbled. We know Joshua and Caleb didn't grumble when they were brought into the the Holy Land to see the, the next set of giants for the people to face. And it's the same way for us. God's working in us. He writes in our heart what he has to teach us what he wants us to know about him. And then that revelation that he provides to us can then transform our lives. So let's just look at a couple of verses in the Old Testament that kind of, well, one that that are referenced there in John 6, verse 45, but also that help to, to provide a little context to it. So one thing to know about Old Testament references, oftentimes in the New Testament they quote the Septuagint, So if you see a quote from the Old Testament, it doesn't quite match up with what your Bible says the Old Testament said there. It's because they're reading from the Septuagint. But when the New Testament quotes from the Septuagint and the Septuagint looks a little bit different than the Hebrew scriptures that we have directly translated today, we can be confident that they kept the basic essence of the meaning when they did their translation because God's clearly used that translation later on. So... Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 54, verse 13. That's the verse that's referenced on John 6 verse in John 6, verse 45. While you're turning there, I'll read the, the the referenced verse. And it says, And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So and they shall all be taught of God. So Isaiah 54. Verse 13, which says, All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. Okay? So as we are taught of God, then that allows us to have well-being, a true well-being that lasts forever. So uh, the context there is a little bit dense if we were to take it by itself. So this is referring back to a few other verses that we can look at just briefly. Isaiah verse forty, I mean, chapter 40, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3. They say, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem, and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. So this helps us to reflect on the work of Christ, making smooth the path within our lives to understand him as he speaks to our hearts. Also, a closely related passage is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I need more bookmarks I guess. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So as we come to the table, let's remember the work that God has done in us to help us to understand the work that he is doing, because that's ultimately what makes his work have power.